Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 support call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 in the morning, Pacific time. It's 7.40 Mountain time, 8.40 Central time, and 9.40 Eastern time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on SoundCloud or any other podcast that you get your podcast through by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and TR90, or Solutions, the digit for anti-aging, all pushed together. If you're listening to this and it's a podcast and you wish to catch us live, if you dial in to 712-775-8972, and when it prompts for the code, enter 910022. We would be thrilled to have you along with us. So as I said, I'm out of Portland, Oregon. My name is Susan Mann, and I'm welcoming you to the call. That TR90 program, when you're first starting out, is a good, clean, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein, at least three of those meals, taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal if it's possible. If it's not possible, do take them with your meals. Still work, just not super as super efficient as it would be if you could take them beforehand. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. Those fruits and vegetables will give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and fiber. Guys need about 45 grams of fiber. Ladies, we need about 32 grams of fiber for good digestive health. So the closer you can get your fruits and vegetables to the source, the better, because that's where you're going to have all your uh, nutrients and your fiber. Drinking plenty of fluid to stay hydrated. The best fluid to be drinking is water. And you should be drinking about one ounce for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking a minimum of 50 ounces of fluid daily. That fluid can be... um, That fluid can be water, it can be tea, it can be um, clear broth soups, it could be any number of things. But the closer things are to being water, the better it is for you. And if you're in a humid area or if you're exercising heavily, you'll need to increase the amount of fluid you're drinking so that you're offsetting what you're losing in body moisture. 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise, at least five days a week. It can be anything you want, but uh, if you're just starting out, just starting with walking is a great way to get started. And a fairly vigorous walk, but enough that you almost can't keep the conversation as you're walking along. Seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night, that will help with um, helps it actually helps your brain. Your brain does a whole bunch of system resets while you're sleeping, and when you wake up, you've had stored memories, both muscle and memories, and then you also are getting lots of uh, clear thinking skills. So getting that good seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night is really important. Today I'm sharing some information out of a book that's called, uh, that's called Fat Chance, 
beating the odds against sugar, processed food, obesity, and disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL, and they were jumping into the omnivore's curse, low-fat versus low-carb. And I'm going to start with a vignette here about Sally. She's a beautiful 13-year-old girl, but since the age of 11, she has been gaining 20 pounds a year. She has a lead in her middle school musical and is mortified because she can't fit into her costume. She comes in. She comes to my clinic, and this is Dr. Lustig during um, this. After her family's attempt at lifestyle interventions are ineffective. An oral glucose tolerance test shows that her pancreas releases too much insulin, yet she is also insulin resistant and glucose intolerant. We place her on a low-carb diet and prescribe metformin to lower her insulin. She loses 20 pounds in the first three months, another 10 pounds after that, and holds steady thereafter. She isn't abnormally hungry anymore, and her insulin levels have returned to normal. And she is a very happy camper. So in the beginning, there were hunters. Most hunters killed their food while some fished. They ate fat and protein, went long stretches between kills, and had to live off their fat stores. Their livers processed dietary fat in one of two ways, based on the hunter's body weight and their current energy supplies. If energy was in short supply, the liver would chop up the fatty would chop up the fatty acids along carbon chains systematically into two carbon fragments called acetyl C O A or ketones. These fragments could then be burned off for energy either by the mitochondria the portion of the cell where the energy generation occurs in the liver or in other organs. If the energy supply was in excess, the liver would package the fat into particles known as low-density lipoproteins, or LDLs. These LDL particles would circulate in the bloodstream and eventually take up residence in fat cells to be stored as triglyceride or blobs of fat for another day when the energy might be needed and when food is scarce. In the absence of insulin, it would, as would occur in starvation, these stored triglycerides would break down into free fatty acids. The cycle would then repeat itself and the stored triglycerides would be released into the bloodstream, re-enter the liver, and be chopped up into two carbon fragments to make acetyl uh, acetyl-CoA, or ketones again. These hunters didn't know what a carbon carbohydrate was, and they didn't need it to. An animal, as an animal and human carcasses were devoid of carbohydrates, our bodies were and are perfectly adapted to burning fat as an energy source. This is the nature of what has become known as the low-carb diet. Natural examples of this can be found in cultures around the world, such as the Maasai and the Samburu tribes of north-central Kenya who eat milk, 
eat meat, milk, and blood animal. And the Inuit of the Arctic who eat fish, meat, and whale fat. In the early 1900s, the Arctic explorer, Valhalmer Stephenson, and he lived from 1879 to 1962, lived among the Inuit for several years, primarily on whale blubber, and had never felt healthier. He was the first to note that the Inuit who ate nary a carbohydrate had an extraordinarily low incidence of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and other chronic diseases. This has unfortunately changed in recent years with the introduction of processed foods into their diet. When he returned to the United States in the late 1920s, Stephenson undertook an experiment. Under medical supervision, he ate only meat for one year and was documented to have no negative health effects from his diet. Stephenson wrote the 1960 book, Cancer Disease of, Cancer, Disease of Civilization, about his experiences and observations. The low-carb diet has achieved mythic status, and in the 1970s, Dr. Robert, Robert Atkins transformed it into high art. Cheeseburgers without the bun, bacon and eggs, broccoli with cheese sauce, no toast or potatoes, and woe to the beer drinkers. It continues to recruit record numbers of followers who swear by it for treatment of obesity and the promotion of health. The low-carb movement hit its peak in 2002 with the publication of two New England Journal of Medicine articles demonstrating its utility. Die Hard still swear by it. Mainstream obesity experts have gotten on the bandwagon, and a number of positive testimonials can be documented with one click of your mouse. But in the recent past, the low-carb diet has come under fire, as it is very difficult to stay on in America. It has also been criticized for having potential negative health impacts. Next, we have the gatherers. So first we have the hunters, now we have the gatherers. Alongside the hunters were the gatherers. The gatherers found their food in what came out of the ground. They ate carbohydrates, proteins, and forms of fruits and vegetables. If energy was in short supply, the glucose would completely take it up by the liver. If the gatherer's energy status was instead replete, the liver would not capture some of the glucose and arise in the blood glucose and subsequent insulin release would occur if energy was in surplus and the blood glucose would rise even higher and the insulin would keep pace driving energy into fat store for storage for a rainy day for example that famine we were just talking about this is the basis of today's vegan diet it is practiced in multiple cultures around the globe because if you grow your own food that's what available. Many people in the United States eat this way as a matter of choice and sometimes to the extreme. For example, fruitarians only eat fruits, nuts, and seeds, and some fruitarians eat 
only that which has naturally fallen from the tree to avoid hurting the plant. This diet can also be perfectly healthy when practiced properly, and when practiced properly, life-saving. Then we have the omnivorous curse. Conflict between these two dietary philosophies is touched on in Mitchell, Michael Pollan's 2006 book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Evolutionarily, the metabolism of fat carbohydrates developed separately. The net energy recoup of each of these processes is minimal, but both metabolic processes products of these two completely different pathways, that being broken down serially versus carbohydrates undergoing glycolysis, meet at the mitochondria in the form of the compound acetyl-CoA, as we learned in the previous chapter. How much acetyl-CoA the mitochondria have to process has everything to do with how healthy the cell is. It also determines whether the cell will collapse under the weight of processing all that energy. The hunters ate fat, liver would beta oxidize the process by which fatty acids are broken down by the mitochondria carbons at a time, what is needed for its use, and would then export any excess LDL to be taken up in adipose tissue. Scatters a carbohydrates, glucose. After absorption, the liver would extract what it needed, and the insulin would put the rest out of the bloodstream for muscle and adipose tissue. In the liver, any excess glucose would be converted to glycogen for storage. Our ancestors were rarely excessively hunters or, or were rarely exclusively hunters or gatherers, but they likely favored one food type, fat or carbohydrate, over the other, depending on where they lived and the time of the year. The liver thus developed two separate pop-off valves protected from the excess energy. One for carbohydrates and one for fat. In both cases, the mitochondria's exposure to the acetyl-CoA was explicitly regulated so as not to, be over, not to overwhelm their capacity. The mitochondria never had to bite off more than they could do. But then, as humans learned to irrigate and farm, we became omnivores. Sally, and with a few exceptions, our entire population eats fat and carbohydrates at the same meal. For example, steak and potatoes. As food became more plentiful, we began to overload both sides of our metabolic pathways. The two-carbon breakdown of the fat and the glycolysis of the carbohydrates. Now the mitochondria are catching hell. They have to deal with an onslaught of acetyl-CoA coming from both directions. One high-fat, high-carbohydrate meal is no big deal. But keep this up, 
for 10,000 meals in a row, about 10 years, just in time for your teenager, teenage years, and we're talking about some real damage, an increase in chronic metabolic disease or metabolic syndrome. I'm going to stop there for today because tomorrow we'll uh, be jumping into, or not tomorrow, but Monday we'll be jumping into either fat, carbohydrate, or fat and carbohydrate, which is one of our developments. At the top of the hour, if you scoot over to Facebook One Team Global Live, one of our leaders will be sharing some information on how to build a new skin business. This is Susan Mann for January 19th, 2023, signing out. And I welcome any thoughts or comments you may have. So there we have it. Hunters, gatherers, and those omnivores. <laughs> well, thank you, Susan. That, that was very interesting. So the metabolic, 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 <laughs> I'm having a tongue tied here. Metabolic syndrome is is starting when we when we get our insulin gets involved. Is that well, both the insulin and and the fat, because you've got your mitochondria are being bombarded from both directions, so from the um, the liver and from the um, breaking it down. Anyway, it's coming from two different directions because you're getting carbohydrates and carbs. They're happening both at the same time. They're used to doing only one or the other. So it is important. Okay, I'm still having a problem. I I don't know whether it's my phone or what. You're going in and out, but that that was very interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. And I will try to uh, if I can't find it. <laughs> Okay, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, and look forward to your lovely meditation tomorrow. Okay, all righty, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, dear, bye.